0: 1 Kings 10, verses 1 to 13, we're reading about a lady, a queen, who came to visit Solomon. The Bible says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, and with very much gold and precious stones. When she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy, of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came. And mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom. And prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king, to do judgment and justice." And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, that's about a minimum of 8,400 pounds minimum, and of spices, great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought, it, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the elm trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such elm trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire. Whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went her own country, she and her servants. This passage is like it reminds me of when you get in excited, maybe to go meet somebody. You know, maybe you're like, I get a meet, I get a go. I knew somebody in the church; they get a go meet. It was Bo Jackson at a, a book signing or something, and get to talk to him. And um, I, you know, there's times where I got to meet a baseball player at a spring training game, and you may be like, what are they going to be like? And some of them were like, oh, they're very, you know, nice and seem like a manly type of an athlete. And others, oh, that guy was a jerk, you know. Um, and I kind of found that with certain athletes. Um, Mrs. Lowry handed me this book to read. And uh, she, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. And um, so it's actually, it's called When Did You Die? It actually is written by this man, B. McCall Barber, but it doesn't have him on the front. It actually has Lee Robertson on the front. And I was when she handed this to me, I just had this thought <clears throat> that kind of related with this text. My grandpa, Morgan. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Lee Robertson was um, very influential. I mean, by the eight, he kind of stepped aside from the pulpit. I think in the eighties, but from probably the 50s through about the mid-80s, very influential Baptist pastor in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was kind of like, to to put it kind of in a corny way, he was kind of like a Ronald Reagan of sorts of independent Baptist. He's very influential, likable, clean in his testimony. There was tons, there was many, many missionaries and pastors that came out of the school that he started, Tennessee Temple, which actually they used to be a Southern Baptist and they moved out of that and became independent. But anyways, he was a very influential pastor, a good man. I think he died in the early 2000s. <clears throat> and um, so lots and lots of pastors and missionaries went to the school that he oversaw, Tennessee Temple University. And um, in fact, that out of that group, they started BIMI. Some of you might not even know this. Our, some of our missionaries... Go out under a mission board that helps them kind of mediate between a, the church and their foreign country to pass along some things, uh, their accountability, communication, funding, translate it into their own currency. BIMI was started out of his, their church and/or school, in out there, and so my so he was really really well known, like you know well, he's been well-known for a long time, but especially maybe probably in the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. Um, But my mother's dad, Cliff Morgan, I remember he said, he told me one time, he said, uh, and, and my grandparents were in a Southern Baptist church for a little while, and there was like in the 60s and 70s, they hear about people kind of going to independent Baptist church because it was making more conservative type decisions and there was some other things that were a little better, more autonomous run church. But he was, he, was, he was an independent Baptist pastor. So my grandpa knew that he used to be a Southern Baptist and he's like, oh, that guy's coming to town to preach. He heard that Lee Robertson was going to be, again, like in the 70s, maybe the 60s or so, 60s or 70s. Lee Robertson is coming To preach, and it was like some church in Phoenix. And so my grandpa living in Mesa said, I want to go here and preach. And it was probably at like revival meetings or maybe some an off-night, I don't think it was a Sunday. And grandpa, I remember him telling me this, he said, I went to hear him preach. I thought this is gonna be a good preacher. I heard a lot of good things about him. And he did go there, and it was a good preaching, good message, but it was even more than he thought. (laughs) Because he said, he said he went to hear him preach it was just grandpa as far as i remember the story it was grandpa just went there and he's sitting there i don't know where he at. oh he was told me he sat up close that's what grandpa said he said he sat up close and lee robertson was preaching to this crowd and getting really you know intense on the message and he was preaching about hell and and it was serious it was a bible text he's using preaching about hell and the and the, the, the reality of it and that people don't have to go there if they trust Christ and we should help, you know, help them trust. He's talking about the fire and talking about the, um, and everything like that. And while he's preaching, my grandpa said he was sitting there and he's watching. He says, man, it's like I can smell some smoke. And then he says, I can see a little smoke coming from the pulpit. Because he says, man, that's kind of a realistic message. That's what grandpa said. He said, that's pretty realistic. He said he could see some smoke coming from the pulpit. And then he said, after, he goes, what is that? And he's still hearing him preach about hell and this lovely smoke. And Lee Robertson just backed up and he said, there's something going on here. It was an electrical issue. <laughs> there was a little electrical fire going on. And so he didn't stop. He just kind of stepped aside and some rusher came in doing whatever they're going to do and throw water on it. I don't know, unplug things, then throw water on it. But, uh, you know, so, and he just said, kept preaching, and he says, he's, and then he said that he said this, he goes, I know you're looking at the smoke, but he says, never mind the smoke. The, just the smoke of hell is much worse, and the fire of hell is much worse, and I don't think this was coordinated. He didn't seem like the kind of guy that would try those little tactics, but this was just something that happened, and he just used it as a keep, you know, a segue into a stronger gospel point. And grandpa was like, I'll never forget that. You know, that was it was kind of like it was more than I thought. This is awesome, you know. He liked hearing him preach. And so this lady, this queen here, back to our Bible text. This lady goes to visit a preacher. The preacher doesn't come to her, the preacher, he is called the preacher actually in Ecclesiastes, Solomon. She goes to visit him. Can we see the map? She goes to visit him. It was likely, we don't know for sure. The Queen of Sheba. Most of the evidence points. I hope you can read this. Here's the uh, Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Here's uh, you know the East Middle East here in um, Africa, the continent of Africa. Here's where Solomon is. Okay, she was very likely from Yemen, maybe from across the way in Ethiopia. She was called the Queen of. Seba, the Sabaeans. The Sabaeans are known to be in this area. Okay, Jesus said said a few things about her. His language was she came from the ends of the earth. Well, this would be considered the end of this part of the earth. It was about 1,200 miles is what I figured. So this queen comes to visit, and when she visited Solomon, she's like, I want to see what this is really like. See what this preacher's like. You know, and she was blown away. She, to, to sum up that, those verses, she was floored. She hadn't seen such magnificent wealth, works, and just joy and happiness. She was just blown away. Wow. And so much so, it's like there's no more spirit in her. Almost to the fact that it's almost like, like, like almost a discouragement type thing. Just, oh, in that sense. No more spirit. I'm just, oh. Maybe she thought, I'm going to impress him. Because yeah. she brought a bunch of stuff, right? She had, a, I mean, at least 8,600 pounds of gold or 400 pounds of gold she left with him. And she brought all kinds of really good spices that maybe they put in their hummus, on their fish. I don't know. But she got a lot of spices. She brought a whole train of stuff and ended up giving a bunch of it away. But when she got there, it was almost like, my stuff's no big deal compared to what I see here. This is amazing. So, Solomon. But notice what the verse says, verse 1. Why did she come? You see verse 1 in your Bible, chapter 10, verse 1, the Queen of Sheba came or heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. In other words, she heard, wait a minute, this Solomon guy in connecting with the name of the Lord that God made him wise, God made him wealthy, God gave him the ability to have these works. Oh, God did his God? Well, let's go see, you know. She came to prove him, and I'm I'm adding a little bit of sassiness to it. I don't know if she had this sarcastic thing or if there was a sincere proving, like she craved something of his God. I don't know which it is, but we can plainly take the text. She came to prove him with hard questions. I'm going to test this guy. I'm going to go see him. And I, I know people say a lot about this king over here and that king over there. And, and I've, I've, I've looked into him and hmm, I've looked into that king and hmm. But I'm going to really look into this king and I'm going to nail him with some hard questions. Maybe there were riddles. Maybe there were questions about stuff in her country that only small amount of locals knew. Things and secrets and, you know, maybe all it could have been scientific, mathematic. I don't know what it was. Doesn't tell us. Apparently it's not that important, but there was hard questions that she had for him. She's like, I want to go see him, and I'm going to see if he's the real thing. I want to prove him. Prove means you test the authenticity of it. If you all think you have some silver, and it doesn't look like your normal coinage, you better find a way to test it, right? If you think you have a piece of gold, you need to get it tested and prove it. Test it to see if it's authentic. She's going to see if this guy's made out of He's false gold or not. Or what? So she goes there to prove him. And she does prove him to be true. It was she heard and beyond. She says, um, verse six, she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thine acts and thine wisdom. But she says it was beyond that. It's true. And I'm just gonna to, to kind of set the the stage of kind of how we're gonna walk through the rest of this passage is this what solomon proved to be to this lady who checks him out is what christ is a shadow of what christ proves to be to those who come to him again what solomon proves to be to this lady of interest in him is is a shadow because he fails his object in chapter 11 he's not perfect he's only an imperfect shadow it's a shadow of what Christ proves to be to those who come to him and say I want to know if this Jesus is true you know and to a couple comparative scriptures in John 1 43 to 45 the early on when Jesus was getting some disciples that were coming from John the Baptist to him you know Andrew Andrew brings Peter and then uh, Philip follows Jesus and when Philip follows Jesus, Philip goes to probably his friend Nathaniel. He says, "Nathaniel, we found the Christ. Nathaniel says, well, wait a minute. Is, can anything, he's from Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says something that was logical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was kind of that North Galilee area it was a little bit trashy. What's ironic is that even there were some cities that Solomon, as a side note, gave to Hiram in that area. And when Hiram got him, he's like, what are these little trashy towns? That was another preaching message. But anyway, so Philip says, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Christ. Where's he from? Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a little trashy area. And he says, come and look. Come and see. Come prove it. So Nathaniel does. He has the honesty to get and move and go see if this is real. And he does find out he's real. I like how the Bible says, you know, prove Jesus in that sense. Remember the woman at the well the samaritan i love this she was at the well jesus had the kindness to speak to her used his conversation of water to bridge the the gap of uh, of giving the gospel and and she ends up believing on him and her she leaves her water pot runs to the town nearby and she says come see a man that told me everything i ever did isn't this the christ and so a bunch of samaritans come and meet jesus and they believe on him and because of her word And then the scripture says, and many more believed on him. And they said, now we believe, not because of thy saying, but because we've heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ. He was proven, true. Jesus was the purpose of, did you realize Luke wrote the gospel, Luke and Acts, and it's a two-part treatise to help uh, in a way uh, systematically lay out the acts of Jesus Christ and the acts of His church in a systematic way. Part one is Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the life of Christ. Part two is the Acts of the Apostles, both written by Luke. In the beginning of Luke 1, Luke says, I'm writing to you, O most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. I want you to see how this Christianity has proven to be true. This is what Jesus proves to have really done and said. This is how His church proves to have lived in this first couple, um, at least a dec- couple decades, one or two decades. It's showing the idea that it's good to prove. When, when, at, when, when Saul, uh, Saul, who became Paul, was converted, he went right into the synagogue, and he was very strong and powerful. I mean, he's a brand-new convert, like Rusty was talking about this morning, brand-new convert, and he just goes right over to his Jewish guys and says, look in the Bible, look at this. I'm going to prove to you that this is very the very Christ. I mean, that was like throwing fire on gasoline there with them. They're like, what? What's wrong with you? You used to be the guy against Christ. Now you're for him. And Paul proved it very clearly to Jews that this was the Christ. Through the Old Testament scriptures, probably echoing some historical things they knew, but proving from the scriptures that this was the Christ. It's good. Let me just say this at the beginning, and maybe I'll say it again at the end. If somebody ever says, I'm not sure about Jesus... I'm not sure about the Christian faith. Uh, that's not the end of the world. It's like, that's, a, that's one thing. It's like you can prove it. I mean, you can find ways, even just being a critical eye of even in the scripture itself. Look at how it's written about him. There's something about him. How about even some extra biblical things that are said about him? There's 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 ways where Jesus is proven true in his that he existed. And then even some different evidence that proves true that he indeed was dead. But here's some things that are just beautiful. Let's go back to Solomon. What Solomon proved to be is a shadow of what Christ proves to be. So let's see what did Solomon prove to be. Number one, I got about five points here. Number one, Solomon, I don't have any more pictures for us. Solomon proved to be wise like she was told. Verses 2 and 3. She came to Jerusalem. With a very great train and camels that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she comes in there, comes in his court, beautiful, impressive court. She communed with him of all that was in her heart. I mean, she just already starts opening up. Listen, this is what I've been thinking about. This is the question I have, she asks it. What do you think about that? And she just, unop- everything that was in her heart, she communed with him about Verse 3, we don't know all the details, but verse 3 says, Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. I mean, I don't know how this went over, but I, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm tested like this. My kids think I'm a Google search bar, you know, type into my ear a question. I'm like, I don't know that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of flattered that you think I would, but you know, one of my boys has asked me, Dad, so what is the best... Um, Point guard in the last it, from the 80s to the 90s, and I, I mean I could give him my opinion or what are the st- what are the stats on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1979 on his rebound? Ah, I don't know, I don't know, you know, and uh, and honestly, I love it that my kids ask me questions. To my boys, I like it. I don't want to put that down, but I, I'm not, the, I'm no, I'm no Solomon, you know. And I'm no Google search bar. I'm here, look it up on my phone. <laughs> so but that's what she did. I, I don't, maybe, it was, maybe she was perplexed about some things. Or maybe she already had the answers of some things and little riddles, you know, that she could say to him. You know, these crazy little riddles. Some of you try to pull those on each other or your kids. Maybe she had a little riddle for him, and he just snapped right back and knew it right away. Whatever it was, she communed and she said, Yeah, this guy's truly wise, found him to be wise. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus Christ that in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is interesting, and I, I don't have everything figured out, but I just realized if I walk with Jesus Christ... I'll have everything I need to have. I'll know everything I need to know. When I don't know it, I'll ask him and I'll ask him and I'll ask him and I'll eventually get what I need to know. Because in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, three says. And if he doesn't tell me everything, maybe I don't need to know it then. Because he's like, the capacity right there can't handle that, you know, maybe of my brain. But I trust him with that. He proves to be wise. Even in his life, I love reading the Gospels. It's amazing that there's four Gospels. just so many different angles, three, four angles to look at the life of Christ. It's like this is a beautiful jewel of a life. It's four facets to look at it. Why? To see his wisdom, the way he can... You ever read some of his sermons? Some of you are probably like, Pastor, you can take some cues from his sermons. They're very short, you know? You can read the sermon on the mountain about 13 minutes just at a normal pace, you know? I don't know how, if it was actually preached, I don't know if it was enlarged on, but I'm just saying he could say something very concisely, his wisdom. That's what Solomon proved to be wise. Jesus proves to be wise for those who truly look, at, look into him. Number four, through, verse four through seven, we see the second thing. He proves to, be, he proves to exceed her expectations. Solomon proved to exceed her expectations. Verse 4, when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom, and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom, howbeit I believed not the words until I came. Mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. That is like Jesus. Let's think about Solomon first for a little more. She's thinking, she shows up, well, this guy's pretty rich, huh? Well, this guy's pretty wise, huh? This guy's got some fancy servants, some nice clothing, a nice little court. They got some nice food. Well, let's go see. And she sees the servants, and these guys are happy. She sees the what nice attire they have. She sees the the table at which they sit. She gets to sit down there, and they sit down. Some of them, of course, some have to sit. Some are are part of the cabinet, the ministers, and part of the servants that are serving. And she look at these guys come in. Well, they're all this is kind of coordinated. They're very gentleman like, you know. And and she's there, and well, look at this food, you know. And wow, and she's she's it's, she's fascinated. By the cup bearers, the cup, they're testing his his drink, his eat, his, uh, his food, and everything. And then she watches some kind of procession when he goes to the house of the Lord. I don't know what that looked like, but it was impressive apparently where he went to worship and the house of the Lord itself had to be impressive. Wow. And she said, this is true. This is true what I heard, but the only thing different is I didn't hear the whole thing. The half, I didn't even get half of the picture here. Wow and that is like Jesus. I mean again, G- Jesus exceeds what we can even we're told that he ex- exceeds what we can perceive of him. Let me give you a few examples. Okay, you can hold your place. Look in John 21:25. It's kind of a, I think it was the last verse in the Gospel of John. Interesting statement here. So John writes the book Uh, The purpose of writing the Gospel of John is so that somebody would clearly believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so John 21, 25, it says something about the life of Jesus. And it says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Whoa. I mean, well, what, what do you mean the world couldn't contain all the things that he did? Well, he did all the world. <laughs> you know, and there, I think it's speaking to his life in, that, in those years, but beyond that, his pre incarnate life. So he's saying he's done so much, and I can't even write it all in a book. Jesus exceeds our, 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 our uh, expectations in some ways. He, his glory and His love is beyond what we are already perceiving. There's no depth to it. They no, can't plunge the bottom depth of it. I like what Paul said. I'll reference some things in 2 Corinthians 12.4. Paul, I think he's referring to himself. but He's speaking uh, in a, as another person. He says, I knew a man who basically went up and got a glimpse of heaven. And this man saw things that are unlawful to utter. What? The only thing I know that's unlawful to utter is certain curse words. you know. So it can't be curse words. He saw things that were so astounding, it would, he wouldn't, he's not even allowed to say what he saw. Now, John showed us some things. If you look at John in Revelation, you go, wow, that's amazing. What else did Paul see? What was it, Paul? I'll have to wait and see. All right? It's beyond. He exceeds. The half hasn't been told us of heaven. The half hasn't been told us of Christ's love. The half hasn't been told us of Christ's wisdom and in His grace. Well, Solomon's just a picture of Jesus, a shadow of Jesus. So what else? Uh, she, he proved, Solomon proved to be wise. He proved to exceed her expectations. He proved to be enjoyable. Look at verse 8. He proved to be enjoyable, number 3, verse 8. <laughs> she says, it's amazing that she points this out. She says, happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Now I wonder when she says that, what, makes, what do you think about? I mean, here's a queen coming to visit Solomon. She's impressed. And one of the things she points out, man, these guys are all happy. They're working for you. She probably looked around at her own servants like, what's wrong with you all? Because you know? <laughs> some of them came with her. You know? They, your, 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 your man, your servants... Would stand all before they, they just they're happy before you they're happy to hear your wisdom. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Maybe she as a queen thought, how come folks aren't happy around here? I don't know. But but that impressed her. Whatever this the cause behind it or the backstory, she's like, these guys are really happy working for this king. Jesus is enjoyable. Look at some scriptures here. Again, hold your place. We'll run into the New Testament. Matthew 12, 37. Not everybody was happy to hear Jesus. The the hypocrites who wouldn't repent weren't. Many scribes and Pharisees were not. But I like this simple statement here in Matthew 12, 37, actually look at, um, where am I at here? Okay, I got the wrong scripture. Let me me look. I might have John. It might be John. Let me take a quick peek. Okay, so I don't know what, it's one of the Gospels. Here's what the verse says. It says the common people heard him gladly. There's a verse in one of the Gospels there. The common people heard Jesus gladly. Again, what the some of the real scribes and Pharisees, yeah, preaching against us. Well, you wouldn't have that problem if you just repent, do what he says. But the common people, are like, we want to hear this guy. We're glad to stand before him and hear his wisdom. You know, that doesn't mean a hundred percent of the time people were always comfortable with Jesus. In John six, it talks about Jesus turning and saying a very strong message to a large crowd that thinned out the crowd, really quick. But the idea is. He's in, if you know Him and love Him and believe on Him, man, He's enjoyable to be with. We sing, look at all these songs. I mean, take a look at some of our songs. How sweet, you know, to follow. I'm paraphrasing the sweetness of believing Jesus and following Jesus. And not that life's easy, but He's sweet. Life gets sour, but He's sweet. Enjoyable. Number four, What else did Solomon prove to be? He proved to be wise, proved to exceed our expectation. He proved to be enjoyable. And then, number four, he proved to have the favor of God on him. Look what she says, verse 9. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee. She's speaking to Solomon, the king. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king, To do judgment and justice. I mean, she sees, you know, she sees Solomon and all this thing. She's impressed. She says, you know, you are favored of God. God has blessed you because He's blessed you. He loves you and He loves Israel. Wow, you have the favor of God on you. You know, there's scriptures. Let's take a quick peek. Hold your place again. Look in Luke. Hopefully I have this reference right, okay? Luke 3, 22. Jesus' baptism. Luke 3.22, the, the, what the Father says out of heaven, Jesus' baptism. Luke 3.22, when He was baptized, heaven was opened. And then verse 22 says, The Holy Ghost descended on Him, descended, I should say, in a bodily shape, like a dove upon Him, and a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. So you see, Jesus and this voice from heaven, there were witnesses to that voice. Yes, a voice happened out of heaven. Luke was a doctor here, Luke the physician, very more probably more meticulous. And he went around and looked for the certainty of the things that were heard and seen. And he reported this, that this was reported. I don't know if he was there. But He said, yes, there was, there was a voice out of heaven that said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee am I well pleased. The favor of God the Father is on the Son. Look at chapter 9, 9, verse 35. Jesus is favored of God. God the Son is favored of God the Father. Luke 9, 35 says, There came a voice out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is when, was it Peter and John and one of the other disciples, they went up into the Mount of Transfiguration. It was just a small group of them. And uh, all of a sudden, Moses and Elias appear and a cloud descends. Jesus looks like he's in glorified being. And wow, they're impressed with it. And so they're all impressed with seeing Moses and Elias and, and Jesus and wow, But the voice says, this is my son, my beloved son, hear him. It's showing God the Father favors the son. He's blessed the son. Philippians says, Jesus humbled himself and (coughs) thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, (coughs) became a man and took upon him the form of a servant and even humbled himself unto death even the death of the cross and so the climb back up wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father is favoring Jesus Christ his Son he has the favor of God. It's like it's like, let's back up a little bit. Solomon, the richest man probably ever, multi-trillionaire, all this gold. We could look at that another time. T- tons of gold, literally tons, and all this wisdom, wow. He was a spectacle to the world in a good way, fascinating. But Jesus is that. He's a, the greater than Solomon and has the favor of God on him. And sometimes we, we only see... This We call it this dispensation, last 2,000 years when Jesus came and lived the earthly life and, and died and rose from the dead. Just see a little sparkle of His favor and His glorified um, state, but it's going to come in massive, all of His glory when He comes back, we're, we're going to come back with Him after the rapture, in His kingdom, in a glorious kingdom, the favor of God. And so, here this lady, this queen, Wow. Blessed be the Lord thy God He delighted in thee. And we see the Father delights in the Son. That's why He's trying to make us look like Jesus. That's why God's working all things together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow them. He also did predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's trying to make me look like Jesus in the spiritual sense while I'm here on this earth. And then it all get perfected after we Die and get a new body. But the favor of God's on him. and So, by the way, that's why I can go to heaven. I go to heaven, why? Not because God favors me in and of myself. But Ephesians 1.6 says, and I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the favored one already because I'm in Christ. I have God's favor on me. That's why God can justify me And let me have eternal life. So here we are, this lady comes, this queen comes, sees Solomon, proves to be, he proves to be wise, proves to be beyond her expectations, proves to be enjoyable, proves to have the favor of God. And then he proves to be worthy of giving, of generous giving. Look what it says, verse 10. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones, there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now, it's, I think that what she gave him may have been related to as a gesture for him giving her time. But the Scripture also says that he, he gave her other stuff beyond out of his bounty. So I think when she left, she was much more got much more than she gave to him she didn't add much to him at all he added much to her and that's how jesus is too you know there's it could be almost another point but jesus adds more to me than i had in fact i don't even get saved by adding anything i just cast my pathetic self on him by grace he so is saved through faith and i'm saved and i have god's favor and i have his grace and have access by faith into this grace where I stand and all that. So Jesus, I come to Jesus and, and he, I walk away with more on favor and love and grace on me than I can contribute to Him because He has everything He needs. But here's the thought. The main thought that I was trying to see here is she saw Him as worthy of all this 8,400 pounds of gold at a minimum and all of her spices out of her cabinet, you know? They don't know. i say the talent, it's kind of weird feeling, side note, talent. Nobody really, I'm like, I'm looking at all these books, nobody knows for sure how much a talent is, how much it weighed. Now there's a New Testament talent which is different. If you look in Second Kings, there's a passage where it says that a donkey carried two talents and that seemed to be very heavy. So it was between 70 and 125 pounds is kind of the range. And I'm picking the 70 pound as a talent and taking that and translating it and dot, 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 da times the price of the ounce of gold and all this to find the cost. But the weight was at least that. So here she is. She gives him that. Isn't it kind of weird as, you know, sometimes wealth attracts wealth, <laughs> you know? What happens with people that are, have a business and they're very wealthy? Let's give them some to invest in it, Right? Sometimes wealth attracts wealth. Well, this wealth of wisdom, this wealth of glory attracted her. I'm going to give to him and show him my gratitude. But again, she walked away. There was doubtless things she came, took with her. She certainly took a, a, a heart of, a, full of wisdom and, and whatever else. And don't, don't, don't get distracted, by the way, on the Queen of Sheba stories. There's all these little tales like she was pregnant. She went back with his kid. And there's all these weird, just stay with the Bible There's two, I'm telling there's all kinds of movies and stuff, and it gets way off track. She was blessed leaving. Verse 13, the king gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked. Beside that which was Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. You know, what was it that uh, one of the ladies broke the alabaster box on Jesus' feet, I think another on his head? Very costly, like one year's wage. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, here's the thought: Was he worthy of that? One of the disciples didn't think so. Well, actually, a couple of them. Look at the other scriptures. They're like, "What's this waste for?" So uh, uh, Judas kind of rallied. Look at this waste. They didn't think he was worth. But this lady, he's worthy of that one-year salary on him. She just was so full, so thankful. I'm gonna break open this expensive ointment. That's hard to get and, and, and come by and break it and give it to him. And Jesus is worthy of our generous giving. He is. And, and you know, I, I know that you could, we could talk about tithing as, as an Old Testament. It's actually before the Moses. It's during Moses. I think you should practice it after Moses. But even beyond that, say, is Jesus worthy of a tithe? Is He worthy of a tithe? Yeah. He's worthy of offerings. Of course, he wants a free heart. He wants a free will. But there it is. I love this, Solomon. Yeah, he was proven to be something very special, <laughs> magnificent, um, unparalleled to this lady. But Jesus proves to be so many more of those, so many of those things, and more. So, this is why I think people should. We need to prove Him in our own life. I want to prove Him in my walk. Prove what He's like as I get to know Him more and love Him more and worship Him more and pray with him, pray to Him more. Prove Him in my own life. Prove Him by communing with Him. And then people who aren't Christians, who make these flippant statements, oh, the Bible's a bunch of lies, Ah, oh, Jesus is just another prophet. Well, why don't you go prove that? Oh, He's just another man. Like, everybody else... I love the the I love the you've heard of these two guys Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel. You've heard of them. They Josh McDowell had a book called More Than a Carpenter, many uh, copies sold. And then Lee Strobel's written several different types of books. He made a movie about his life. And Josh McDowell, it's really neat because he basically was. Um, it's a really neat kind of account of his life, a story. But basically, he went to college and. Um, He got into some kind of club or group of Christians, and he's like, "Man, there's something about them. I just, they're just, they're just happy, almost disgustingly happy." He says, "Like this bothers me. How come you're so happy?" Type of thing, you know. And he says, "I just saw confidence in that. It was probably just a fellowship of people at his college. They were confident in in, in their in their belief and their faith and where they were going. Whereas, kind of in the secular college, it it was everything's like questionable. You know, what is truth?" What is right? What is wrong? You know, And they knew what truth was. They knew what was right and what was wrong, and they're confident in it, even though they're going through the secular jungle, so to speak, in their university. And so he wanted to kind of get cozy with them and get to know them a little bit. And, and, um, and so they got talking in a conversation one time in one of their meetings about Jesus Christ. And um, uh, what do you think about Jesus Christ? And he, I'm trying to summarize kind of his testimony. It basically was like, well, I think religion is all blah, 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 blah. And the, the, one of the girls shot back at him and says, I'm not talking about religion. I said Jesus Christ. What do you think about him? And then he was like, he never thought about the distinction. Oh, yeah. Well, and he said a few things, and they basically challenged him, go prove. Prove back to us that he didn't exist, that he didn't rise from the dead. Prove back to us. And so he thought, I'm going to prove these people wrong. I'm going to prove that... Uh, He's just a carpenter, he may not have even existed in a carpenter, and so he went and his research brought him back to this is more than a carpenter he's beyond that, and that's the title of his little one of his little books more than a carpenter and that's how he came to faith. Lee Strobel was a like a investigative type reporter for Chicago Tribune or something. His wife was a Christian, he was not, and um I think it was in the early 80s maybe late 70s. And his thing was, look at my wife, I'm going to I'm going to prove I got the skills on investigation. I'm going to prove Jesus wrong in the Bible. And it just went the opposite way. It was like, well, I got I got to believe this stuff. Josh McDowell, one of his other books was Evidence that Demands a Verdict. He found all this evidence like, well, there's so much evidence about Jesus and about the Bible. And so the idea is that, you know, People who are honest, in an honest heart, as much as you can, have one, go, look into the claims of Jesus Christ. They've come out thinking, this is true. Now, I want to end on this one thing here. I I have to remember where the scripture is. It might be in Luke. Otherwise, I'm going to have to quote it. Jesus quoted about the Queen of Sheba. And let me see here. He does these, oh, where was that at? Let me take a quick peek, and if I can't find it. Oh, let's see. Oh, here it is. Uh, Luke 11. <clears throat> Jesus, it says in verse 29, and we'll try to wrap it up here on this. Verse 29 says, the people were gathered together, gathered thick together. Okay, so this big crowd swells Jesus had done a lot of miracles and raising the dead and preaching and teaching and by this time. People had seen him and saw what he had done and displayed before him and certain scriptures being fulfilled. So here he begins to speak to these thick crowd. And he says, verse 29, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign. They want more proof. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to his generation. Now listen to what he says, and we're not going to do all of this, but listen to what he says in verse 31. The queen of the south, that is referring to this lady, queen of Seba. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utter, from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and... Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So here's what happened. What did happen? The queen of the south, Sheba, we just read, came to see it. I didn't believe this, but now I believe it. Wow, I believe the Solomon. Jesus says, listen, was not in Jesus' day. He did all these things to to these people in this region. His proofs of his deity and of, of him being the Messiah. He did all those things. It was right in front of their eyes. They're right there. They didn't have to travel 1,200 miles. They were right there watching. Wow, this greater than Solomon type person is there teaching, preaching, and healing, raising the dead and healing the blind and all that stuff. They're right there. Now, some believed, some didn't. But in this case, Jesus is he's, he's, he's reproving those who didn't believe. And He says, you know what? You men, the day, future judgment day, when these men are standing before the future judgment day, and there's a time to be evaluated before God for not believing. The Queen of the South's gonna be there and say, Hold on a second, I got something to say. She's gonna rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. She's gonna say, Hey gentlemen, I had to travel to go see if Solomon was true. And I was pretty impressed. You were right there. You saw everything he did. He's much greater than the Solomon I thought was great. He's much greater, and you didn't believe him. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to see the rest of this. You know, I mean, it's going to be. I mean, it's something like that. That's what Jesus said. She's going to be a special guest there. And there's another scripture that speaks about in another context, but the idea is that Jesus has done things to, especially in his generation, to prove himself. And I think there's even now the scripture is has the Bible itself has strong manuscript evidence. There's other things that show in history the, that point to the validity of his existence and his resurrection. And I think he would be proven to be true to an honest person who would come, not 1,200 miles, but maybe 12 minutes, 12 hours to take time to look. And we should challenge people to that. But in the meantime, let's prove him to be the sweet Lord that we are told he is, and we already know he is in many ways prove our Solomon.